0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. If you pay attention to our Facebook or our Twitter, you may have noticed a goofy picture. It was a very goofy picture that Holly and I put up there. Uh last winter from our office holiday party in which Holly is like goofily ex- exclaiming over my engagement ring. I like That's how very
1: silly. I like how you think I was purposely being goofy when in fact I was being delighted and genuine.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> well I because we were taking this picture in front of a in front of a Christmas tree and like you had actually already seen my ring and we were it was the whole the whole setup was kind it of was a, But anyway, it was a little
1: staged, but my reaction remained genuine, I feel.
0: OK, OK, good. Um, <laughs> so people basically immediately started asking whether we would do some wedding episodes, not as a please stay, keep that away from me. But hey, you should do this. Uh. So here we go. Here's our first episode that pertains in some way to to my wedding. And it's not about flowers or diamonds or cake or Queen Victoria, which are all things that people suggested. It is about dancing. Specifically, it is about Lindy Hop and the most famous of all the Lindy Hoppers, who was Frankie Manning. Uh,
1: Frank Benjamin Manning was born in Jacksonville, Florida, on May 26th of 1914. His parents were Jerry and Lucille Hadley Manning, and his only sibling was an older sister who died when Frankie was only two. The family lived in the segregated neighborhood of Campbell Hill until he was three, at which point his mother left his father and they moved to New York.
0: A whole series of his childhood experiences directly influenced his later work in dance. When they moved to New York, he and his mother made the trip by boat. And Frankie was just fascinated with the motion of the waves as they rolled over one another. And he said he wanted to figure out what kind of game they were playing.
1: His earliest musical memories were in Aiken, South Carolina, where his father moved after Frankie and his mother had gone to New York. Frankie would spend some time on his uncle's farm there in the summers. And in the evenings, once all of the work was done, the family would sit on the porch and friends and farmhands would play harmonica and washtub bass and other instruments while other people danced. And when he was young, Frankie really had to be kind of encouraged to get out there and and dance. But as soon as his grandmother got him into the circle with the other dancers... That was a done deal. He did not want to stop. Uh, Front yard and church music continued to be a really big part of his summer life until he was about 10 years old. And at that point, his father moved to New York as well.
0: Yeah, once his father was in New York, there wasn't nearly as much of an impetus for him to go visit South Carolina anymore. Uh, But, you know, during the school year, Frankie was an extremely good student. And since his mother worked after he got out of school, Every day, a friend of hers would let him sit in a vaudeville theater that was across the street from his school. He sat in the back and he did his homework, but he also watched the films and the comedy and dance performances that went on in the theater every afternoon for pretty much all of his school years.
1: That sounds sort of dreamy, I have to say. Uh, Frankie Manning's style of dance was really quite physically demanding. So it's no surprise that he was also pretty athletic when he was a kid. He and the neighborhood children would play stickball and race around, and they also climbed all around construction sites and roofs, and they would leap back and forth along the building's basement doors and their stoops. And he was extremely versatile. He participated in a lot of different sports all the way through both junior high and high school.
0: His mother really loved to dance. And starting when he was about eight years old, she would take him with her to social dances. And a lot of these dances were at rent parties. These were parties where people would charge a quarter or so for people to be admitted, and this would help them raise the money to pay the rent. So at rent parties, people ate, drank, and danced, usually accompanied by somebody playing the piano. At first, uh, Frankie's mother would leave him in a bedroom to just sleep while she was at the party, but usually he would instead get up and watch the grown-ups through the door. And although he wasn't quite at the point where he
1: was really interested in dancing himself... Uh These early experiences really affected how he thought about dance. These people were clearly having a great time in great company and different dance styles came out for different moods and different styles of music. And when someone was really good, the rest of the crowd would just sort of clear this space and watch so that that person could really just show off and let loose.
0: A couple of years later, once he was old enough to spend a little more time with the grownups instead of uh, in in a room where people were leaving their coats, Frankie really started to pay attention to how people moved and what steps they did. And he started trying to remember how these dances worked with the rhythms of the music. So by the time he was about 10, he was practicing steps at home.
1: In October of 1926, uh, Frankie was 12 years old at this time. His mother was going to help decorate a Halloween dance, and she told them that if he helped to, he could go to the dance with her. And he was wildly excited about this. In his own recounting, he was the youngest person on the dance floor that night. But when he finally danced with his mother, she told him, Frankie, you'll never be a dancer. You're too stiff.
0: In his own words... After my mother told me I was too stiff to be a dancer, I felt pretty sad. I honestly thought that I was dancing like everybody else at the Renaissance Ballroom. That night, I was really dragging on the way back home. But the next day, what she said kind of lit me up.
1: That comment from his mother is when he really got seriously interested in dancing.
0: He started practicing
1: at home to the couple of records that he owned and doing anything he could, do- he could think of to keep his body from being stiff and straight. When his mother walked in on him dancing with a broom or a chair as his partner, he would tell her that he was, quote, trying to get unstiff.
0: He also kept watching dancers as much as he could, both at ballrooms and private parties. And he noticed the differences at how people danced in these different environments. Ballroom dances were social events, and everyone danced there in a more formal way, with kind of an upright posture, usually wearing their Sunday best. Private parties, on the other hand, were a lot looser and freer and wilder. And for the most part, the exact same people were dancing in both places. Although to look at them in either setting, you would not so much expect that. And he
1: also practiced in the basement with his friend Herman Jackson. And they would trade off uh, who was leading and who was following because they didn't have a girl to practice with. Uh, and when Frankie was 13, the two of them skipped out on their Baptist Young People's Union events to instead go to a dance for young people at the Alhambra Theater. The dance, which was for kids aged 12 to 15, had a big band playing and it cost a nickel to get in.
0: They had a really good time. They did not dance with anybody. Uh They did, however, decide to go back. And they went for the next four weeks before Frankie finally asked someone to dance with him. And he was hoping to show off the swing moves that he had been practicing at home. However, as soon as he asked someone to dance, the band struck up a waltz. And he didn't know how to waltz. So he basically uh, imitated what the male partner was doing in a dancing couple nearby and kind of watched that guy the whole time and imitated what he was doing without looking at his partner at, at all. Uh, it was kind of a disaster.
1: And for several months after that, Frankie and Herman brought their own partner to the social dances. Uh, this was a neighbor named Virginia. And they brought her until they were confident enough to start asking other people again. And they went to these dances every week with very few interruptions. Once after Frankie's mother heard him mention a dance and she at that point found out that he had not been going to the BYPU meetings anymore. He actually got grounded for a week.
0: After a while, Frankie and Herman started attending the Alhambra Theater's dances for adults and also dances for older teens at the Renaissance Ballroom. Because these were for people who were a little older than the ones for the younger teenagers that they had been attending before, the dancers that they were seeing and dancing with were better, which meant that, consequently, Frankie and Herman themselves got better, too.
1: And it was actually at the Renaissance that Frankie first saw people doing the Lindy Hop. And we are going to talk a lot about that. But first we are going to have a quick word from a sponsor.
0: Before we continue with Frankie's story, we need to talk a little bit about what Lindy Hop actually is. Along with Swing, the Charleston, and the Jitterbug, and many, many other dances, Lindy Hop is a dance that falls into the umbrella of African-American vernacular dance. These are dances that have African roots and have been created and popularized in social settings. During the time period we're talking about, these settings were juke joints, ballrooms, and the rent parties that Frankie's mother would take him to. There's often some level of competition inherent in in vernacular dances in the form of dance contests and dance-offs.
1: African-American vernacular dances have been passed down from one generation to the next within Black communities, morphing and kind of evolving along the way, and many of them are quite highly improvisational. Lindy Hop itself actually evolved from the Charleston, uh, the collegiate, and the breakaway kind of combining. It purportedly got its name when a reporter asked a dancer what dance he was doing shortly after Charles Lindbergh's famous flight across the Atlantic.
0: Social dances have played a huge role in community building and creative expression in African-American communities for more than a century. So Lindy Hop and other vernacular dances created and popularized during the swing era were a really important part of the social fabric in black and black communities from the 1920s all the way through the end of World War II. This was especially true during the Great Depression when people didn't have much money and social dancing was both an inexpensive form of entertainment and a much needed social outlet.
1: Frankie Manning learned the Lindy Hop exactly the same way he had learned other dances, by watching other dancers and dancing with them. And it was with the Lindy Hop that he really started to improvise steps of his own. He was dancing as often as he could. At the same time, he was also finishing school, and he was playing on multiple team sports at school, and he was actually working multiple jobs to try to keep himself and his mother afloat. And he finally dropped out of school in the 12th grade, in part because the teachers, who were all white
0: were encouraging
1: the black students not to go to college.
0: Yeah, they were being encouraged to basically take up laboring jobs instead. The popularity of Lindy Hop was spreading by 1930, and Frankie's friends, who knew how much he liked the dance and thought he was pretty good at it, encouraged him to enter a contest at the Lafayette Theater in Harlem. When it was their group's turn, they started doing their regular social dancing like they'd been doing, and it did not go very well. The audience booed them and a comedian whose job it was to make fun of dancers who did poorly did exactly that and then hauled them off the stage with a hook. It was another disaster in Frankie's early dancing career. Oh, the hook.
1: But the good news is that Frankie Manning did not give up. And maybe a year later on New Year's Eve, he and his girlfriend started doing the Charleston at a dance. And at that point, they were so good that people started throwing money. And apparently, amused by the sight of one of them scrambling to pick up this money that had been thrown, uh, the onlookers threw more money. And Frankie called this his first big payday as a dancer. He was about 15 years old at the time.
0: About a year after Frankie Manning left high school, he was playing a pickup basketball game with Herbert Roper. And Herbert scored and then did this version of a Lindy step that Frankie had never seen before as kind of a celebratory move. Frankie asked Herbert where he had learned to dance like that, and Herbert said at the Savoy. Harlem's Savoy
1: Ballroom had opened on March 12th of 1926, and it was owned by Mogale, who was white, and managed by Charles Buchanan, who was black. And it was one of the first racially integrated social spaces in the United States. It was a beautiful ballroom with two bandstands and an immense spring-loaded wooden dance floor. And it made a name for itself as being home to the best music and the best dancers.
0: Many of the dances that later became really popular were developed at the Savoy. And the Lindy Hop became really the signature dance that was danced there for many years. The best, wildest, and most inventive Lindy Hop dancers usually got together and danced in what was known as Cat's Corner on the north end of the hall near the bandstand. The Savoy was also a performing venue for some of the biggest names of the era, including Dizzy Gillespie and Thelonious Monk. I could just rattle off names of people who performed there forever. If you can think of a big jazz person who was performing during that time or a big band performing that time, probably they performed at the Savoy Ballroom.
1: Frankie's first trip to the Savoy was when he was about 19, and he went with a group as moral support because they were concerned that they wouldn't be good enough to fit in. And since he still knew a lot of people who were dancing at the Renaissance, he spent his dancing time between the two ballrooms for a while. But within a year, he had really shifted to doing most of his dancing at the Savoy.
0: Herbert White, known as Whitey, started a dance troupe at the Savoy. And at first it was just called the Savoy Lindy Hoppers, but it eventually became known as Whitey's Lindy Hoppers. Around 1934, so when Frankie was about 20, Whitey asked him if he wanted to join the troupe. This meant that Frankie would be able to get into the Savoy for free. He could practice when the ballroom was technically closed, and he would get to dance with the best dancers all the time. So instead of just watching people dance and trying to pick up their steps, he could just ask them to teach him. And he actually learned that he could have done that the whole time. (laughs) He did not need to have like an official endorsement to ask somebody, Hey, how did you do that step? Will you show me?
1: It's one of those wonderful things. I think lots of people, uh, lots of us do things exactly like that. Like we assume there's some social rule that there isn't, and we could have been helping ourselves a lot the whole time. It's easy to identify with that. Uh, as a side note, before we jump into a sponsor break, there's an interesting point in that uh, some writing about the Lindy Hop kind of suggests that dancers had almost proprietary steps that were theirs and that other dancers would not do, and there was sort of a code of honor around that. But in his autobiography, Frankie flatly rejects this idea and says that people learned from one another, they shared steps all the time, they copied each other's work. Like th- It was a lot more collaborative and crossovery than some writing would indicate.
0: So to get back to Frankie's story... About six months after joining the troupe, he really started to develop his own style of Lindy Hop. He lowered his center of gravity way, way down toward the ground, and he started just making these big, long, reaching movements with his legs and arms. It's a style that he described as trying to get as far as possible from his mother's observation that he was too stiff. And he was also really trying to interpret the music with his body, not just to do the steps of a dance to time with the music well. In 1934, Frankie
1: and his partner, Hilda Morris, actually entered a Lindy contest at the Apollo Theater, and they won. Their prize was to appear in the review that was opening there, and that ran four shows a day for a week. And they did that. And the musician that was performing that week was Duke Ellington. And they were also paid for this work. So this was pretty big stuff. Uh, and soon after this, Frankie and Hilda started to tour as dancers.
0: A little later on, Whitey arranged a dance competition between his dance troupe and another troupe headed by Shorty Snowden. So Shorty's troupe had started at the Savoy, and they had been performing elsewhere professionally for a while. They were quite good. They were seasoned, professional dance troupe. But some people felt like maybe they had gotten a little bit complacent in their dancing.
1: Frankie Manning started working out one of his most famous moves for this contest. One of Shorty's couples did a comedic bit at the end of their routine in which the very tall female partner carried the male partner off the floor. Frankie also wanted to take his dance into the air. And his partner for the contest was Frida Washington, and he wanted her to go over his head in a kind of backwards somersault and then land in front of him. And so they wouldn't give this move away. They actually practiced it at home on a mattress for safety. (laughs) And he called this the over the back.
0: So when they did this in the contest, which was kind of billed as the like fiery young upstarts against the established uh, professional troop, It went over amazingly. People could not believe what they had just seen. And today, aerials are a really big part of the Lindy Hop scene, especially among the most experienced dancers and the people who dance competitively. Frankie, at the time, though, called it an air step because he wanted to distinguish it from lifts that are common in ballroom dancing. After the success at this contest, Frankie started looking for more and more air steps. And this was one of his most recognizable and famous innovations in the world of Lindy Hop.
1: And this is really where Frankie kind of moves into having a professional career as a dancer. But we're going to not talk about that today because we're going to talk about it next time. You get a two-parter on Frankie Manning.
0: I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love talking about dance.
0: We get a lot of requests from people to talk about dance. Yeah, lots of people love it, myself included. Uh, Do you have a little bit of listener mail? (laughs) I do. And this is a listener mail from Elizabeth, who is writing about our episode about special education. And Elizabeth says, Hi, ladies. I wanted to write to you about my journey through the educational system and being an RSP student. I have mild dyslexia and dyscalculia, which is essentially dyslexia with numbers, along with some other mild information processing challenges. I must also say that my mother is a retired special education teacher, and she greatly shaped my progress through school. My mother knew I was dyslexic from a young age and worked rigorously with me outside of school all through elementary and junior high school. She feared the prejudices of educators and therefore did not have me tested for, a, for special education until high school. At that time, I was granted an IEP, which included accommodations such as using a computer to write in-class essays and a simple calculator on math exams for basic computation. My mom knew that I, like many students who fall into the mild-slash-moderate special education category, are, quote, lumpy learners, her term as far as I know. With my accommodations, I was able to progress in English to honors English my junior year of high school and advanced placement English my senior year of high school. This is because using the computer allowed me to communicate my thoughts and ideas to my teachers without the distractions of bad handwriting and spelling. I did go on to college, where I earned my bachelor's degree in psychology, philosophy, and theology. Currently, I am an internship and thesis away from my master's of science in educational counseling with a 3.72 GPA. As a side note, one of my best friends from high school who was in RSP with me just finished her master's degree in journalism from a university in London. I have done advocacy for special education students on and off ever since I was diagnosed because I passionately believe that just because our brains function differently than someone else's does not mean that we are stupid. We can achieve great things in life, both personally and professionally, if we are given the accurate tools to do so. I apologize for the length of this. I tried to keep it succinct. I could certainly say more. But anyhow, thank you for bringing to light a topic that can be easily overlooked. Then she says, keep up the excellent work, Liz. I said Elizabeth at the top of the letter, but she signed it Liz. Uh, Thank you so much, Liz. I wanted to read this for two reasons. One is that it's always awesome to hear from people who have been directly affected by the things that we talk about. Um, And the other is that my aunt, who I mentioned at the top of the episode about special education, who was a special education teacher for most of her career, um, dyslexia runs really uh, prominently in a lot of my family and her sons have dyslexia. She actually thinks she probably has dyslexia as well and was never diagnosed because when she was, because of when she was growing up. So that's one of the reasons that led her to be a special education teacher. If you would like to write to us, you can. We're at history podcast at howstuffworks.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash History, and on Twitter at in History. Our Tumblr is com, and we're also on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash MissedInHistory. We also have T-shirts and phone cases and similar things uh, at our Spreadshirt store, which is MissedInHistory.spreadshirt.com. If you would like to learn more about what we've talked about today, come to our parent company's website. Put the words Harlem Renaissance. Uh, in the search bar and you will find some articles about the Harlem Renaissance and that's at HowStuffWorks.com You can also come to our website which is mystinhistory.com, and you will find lots of information about the episodes that we've put out there are uh, show notes for all of them we've got an uh, archive of every single episode we've ever done lots of cool stuff. So you can do all that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or MissedInHistory.com